Thank you, Gerald, for reading our passage this morning, uh, Luke chapter 10. And uh, for those of you who might be joining us for the first time uh, via live stream or here this morning, we have been walking through the Gospel of Luke with the overall title of Come and See Jesus, uh, Searching for Spiritual Renewal. And we think it's a very appropriate focus for us during this time. And uh, I, I personally have been captivated by how Luke demonstrates Jesus' um, submission to and leaning on the Holy Spirit in everything that he does. And that actually really sets the stage for you and me, who are also 100% human, to also recognize our need to submit and depend on the enabling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Luke also uh, seems to be working toward a climax, and each of the Gospels uh, seeks to present Jesus and encourage us to make a decision, in fact, demand a decision about Jesus. And for me, Luke's kind of climactic moment is that declaration by Peter in chapter 9, verse 20, which is just before our text. So everything is moving forward to that point. And in Matthew 9, verse 20, Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? Okay, we've had some time together. Now, who do you say that I am? And he had asked, who do others say? Well, who do you say? And Peter answered, you are God's Messiah. You are the Son of God. You are the sent one. And I think Luke 10.22, that kind of that last verse of our passage this morning, connects very well to that statement, and it lines up with it. And Jesus said, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So it's, it's really about getting to know who Jesus is and the implications of that for us. This revelation of who Jesus is and those obvious implications really form the backdrop of Jesus' activity as the sending Savior. And, and this is where we no longer get to sit back in the pew and cross our arms and fold our hands and just watch. This is where what might have been perceived to be a spectator sport suddenly becomes very participatory. Jesus tells us who he is and what he's about in Matthew 5 to 7, the Sermon on the Mount. That's in, and Luke encapsulates that. Then he demonstrates it in Matthew 8 to 9 where he lives it out and he heals people and now he calls us to do the same. Our ministries are really not our own. They are merely participating with what Jesus is already doing in the world. And Rick Warren, the kind of the famous pastor of Saddleback in Southern California, said that what we need to do is recognize, and he's using surfing turf from California, the wave of what God is doing and then catch that wave. In other words, we participate, we recognize what God is doing, and then we participate with Him in what He's already doing. I could say that our responsibility is to do nothing but extend the ministry of Jesus to other people. That's it. Simple. And our churches should be places where we invite people to come to an encounter with Jesus. That's, that's, that's really, in a nutshell, what it is. We invite people to an encounter with Jesus. So evangelism is not trying to get people saved per se, but inviting them to consider who Jesus is and bringing them to an encounter with him. 
To follow Jesus then is to participate in Matthew 5 to 9. And then getting the summons in chapter 10 and here in Luke chapter 10 to, to extend the kingdom, to join in extending the kingdom, to offer this message, to offer Jesus to others. Now, I need to bring up an issue of timing because God is a God of timing, very much so. And the 40 years or the 400 years in slavery uh, in Egypt set the stage for being delivered and the 40 years, uh, the, the, silent, the, the 400 silent years between the Testaments set the stage for Jesus speaking. But this, this, what we would call the messianic secret, is also in the Gospels where Jesus does a miracle and then he says, don't, don't say much, be quiet, don't share. And, and the reason, I think, for that was because he did not want his popularity to blow so out of proportion that this whole thing would come to a head prematurely. He needed three years of ministry to be able to teach his disciples, to share the message, to show who he was. But now, at this juncture, Jesus sends out first the twelve and then the seventy-two. And as you notice in 9 verse 51, Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem. There is a shift here in his ministry. And if you, uh, some of you uh, studied the Gospel of Matthew uh, with us, the, the book, the, the Seon material, and so these terms are very familiar to you. Jesus went through infancy, then he went through preparation where he was preparing to minister, then he went through popularity where he was popular and he did his ministry and then that next stage was passion and that was where in all of the gospels it says that he set his face to jerusalem another now he's moving toward the cross before this jesus often said my hour is not yet here but now he's headed to the cross god is a god of timing and and maybe you're Maybe there are points during these last two years that you have sat and wrung your hands and wondered about what's going on and this and that. And, and I need to encourage you this morning that, that our God is still God, that he's still sovereign, that he's still in charge, and that he's still a God of timing. I've had people say, you know, I think the end of the world is coming. And my response would be, uh, number one, if, if God's timing suggests that the end of the world is coming, you can't stop it, number one. And number two, if you're a believer, you're on the winning team, and that means that we're going to glory. So chill out, if I can say that. So let's unpack this, uh, this uh, passage this morning. Uh, first of all, verses 1 to 8 talks about God's sending method. As believers, you and I are delegated and commissioned. We are Christ's ambassadors. And here he sends them out two by two. Uh, I'm not sure why it says that they were to go before him. In verse 1, they were to go before him. Uh, so they're already going before him and he's going to follow. And, and I'm not sure if that was to test which villages were receptive and he was just going to go past the villages that were not receptive. Luke doesn't expand on that. Maybe he's giving people in Galilee a final opportunity before leaving Galilee because he's going to Jerusalem. 
But what is clear in the text is that there is a need for workers for the harvest. And I don't know about you, some of you know a little bit about farming, uh, being grain farmers, but uh, there is great joy in riding in the combine. When you see, uh, you know, 100 bushels of, uh, per acre of wheat coming through the hopper into the combine, you're drooling on the floor. It's so much fun to combine and to, to, to harvest, but guess what? You also have to plant to do that. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of work that goes before that, and, and we're often so quick to harvest, but there's also the planting, the watering, and the tending, and that also takes time. And our text says that we are to call and to pray to the Lord of the harvest for more workers. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And I know that you don't believe this, so I probably don't even need to say it, but the workers are not only the professionals. In fact, if you go to Ephesians 4, one of my favorite passages, verses 12 to 16, it says that pastors and teachers are given to the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So the rest of you are all the ministers. I'm just the cheerleader and the equipper and the encourager. So none of us really get off the hook. We're all part of the team of harvesters. The other thing that I find encouraging about what Jesus says here is that there will be a harvest. That's, that's, that's a very positive thought. There will be a harvest. Even if it feels that there's nothing happening, there will be a harvest. Because the Lord of the harvest is in charge, and he enables and he produces fruit. I think that with our conversion comes the responsibility to join in the task of sharing the good news. Uh, it's been said that it's really like one beggar telling other be beggars where to find bread. That's what we're doing. We're sharing what we have found. Uh, and and, and you, can't, you can't share joy if you don't have joy yourself. You can't share peace if you don't have peace yourself. We share our experience with Jesus with those around us, and it should be contagious. I think also the fact that these workers emerge as a result of intercession stresses that God is the sovereign source of such blessing. Let's not forget that it's His plan, it's His methods, it's His power. He is the Lord of the harvest. He leads the mission. He is responsible for sending workers into the field. Missions and church planting is not a matter of marketing, but of the Lord directing his people to faithfully share the grace they've experienced. At the end of the day, what we share is we share Jesus. We share Jesus with those around us. Also notice in this text that the disciples were, the 72 were sent out and they were told to limit their baggage. And I've had to process that as, a, as a going out to another culture and sharing my faith. Uh, so often we take a lot of baggage with us, our, our own Western interpretations, etc., etc. And, and, and so I've had to really work at breaking down what is negotiable and what's non-negotiable. And, and when I share Jesus with the guy across the street, I have to be careful to not bring all of that baggage and dump it all on him. At the end of the day, what I want to do is share Jesus with him. 
and some of those other things will work themselves out. What's negotiable and what's non-negotiable? Our mission is a mission of faith and trust. We go without a lot of personal resources and we depend on God's resources and His enabling. God actually doesn't need our ability as much as He needs our availability. He needs me to say, here I am, send me. That's, that's what He's looking for. Uh, I, did, I did a study of, of calling in Scripture and, and I had always thought that, that God calls the he equips you and then he calls you. But I found both examples. Some were called and then equipped and others were equipped and then called. So there isn't a consistent pattern in Scripture. What is consistent is the call and the need to step forward in obedience. Notice also in verse 4 that we are to avoid distraction. He says, don't turn to the left or to the right. Uh, what that means is this task is actually fairly urgent. We're supposed to stay focused. We're supposed to stay focused. We need to identify receptivity and then we work from there. As we share our faith, as we share Jesus. Well, what's God's message? Verse 9 to 16. I find it, uh, I find it almost disconcerting that uh, Jesus' ministry was holistic. He healed the sick. And uh, I guess if I ask the question, how many of us have healed the sick, uh, it's going to be fairly quiet. Uh, so what does that mean? Uh, I, I think at least it means that you and I need to be concerned about the whole person. And we need to care about the whole person. We, we don't just drive for... A, a, a prayer of faith and then we don't worry about anything else. Our ministry is to be holistic. And the message is the kingdom of God. As Gerald pointed out, it is mentioned twice here, the kingdom of God is the message. God's saving plan for the world. Jesus is the message. As John says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. A decision is required for or against, and that decision results in blessing or cursing. In verse 16, Jesus says that those that listen to the laborer are listening to Jesus, and then they are also listening to God. By the same token, those who reject the laborer reject Jesus and also reject God. So this is fairly serious, but it also indicates the kind of authority that God has placed on you and me to share the message and the implications of people's acceptance or rejection of that message. Verse 17 to 19, God's authority. Notice that even as they came back, they said, even demons submit to the name of Jesus. And Jesus says that Satan fell like lightning from heaven. God's authority is absolute. I don't think that saying that the kingdom is at hand means that everything associated with Jesus' authority is now manifest. I believe that he also taught that there would be things that would happen when he returned. 
And in some ways, God's kingdom is a yes, but not yet. It's, it's here, we experience it in part, but not fully, not totally, until Jesus comes back. That said, the rule of Jesus has already begun. And it is demonstrated in his ability to deliver us from Satan's power. This section also suggests that there is a theme of judgment. There's judgment based on whether you accept or reject what you have heard. Even Satan being cast down is a statement of judgment. Jesus is constantly splitting the crowd. There's no way to be neutral. You have to pick a side. And God has given his authority to his laborers, you and I. We often miss this unbreakable link that Jesus places between himself and his messengers, us. Think about that. There's an unbreakable link between Jesus and us as his messengers. He places that link here. We are commissioned to represent him. We are, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we are his ambassadors, calling people to be reconciled with him. For people to hear them or us is to hear Jesus. For people to reject them or us is to reject Jesus. So our message is actually fairly important and it has uh, significant consequences. Our passage continues with uh, what I call God's reward. Verse 20 to 22, the disciples, the 72, come back and they're all excited about everything that happened. This was a successful mission trip, a short-term mission trip. It was successful. They're excited. They come back. And Jesus responds and says, Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. See, that has longevity. That is eternal. The most important thing is to have your name written in the book of life. You and I should rejoice that we are one of his disciples and part of this kingdom movement. And those who have simple faith, not those who rest on their own wisdom, and have come to see the blessings of God and have therefore become members of his kingdom can rejoice. God honors those who, in simplicity and humility, trust in him. His plan is hidden from the wise, but it is revealed to the humble. In fact, even the disciples, in verse 21, are called mere babes, mere babies, and yet they bear his name. You and I, maybe, are mere babes in Christ, and yet we bear his name. Jesus throws his own authority behind us as we share his message. And I think when he calls us, he's not up there wringing his hands. We will make mistakes. But he is full of joy when he sees his children go out and serve. In fact, the only mistake that I would say you can't afford to make is the mistake of not engaging. Or saying, I won't I won't start, I won't do anything unless I can get it perfect. Often we learn best from our mistakes. Verse 22 says that all things are committed to Jesus by the Father. 
There is a chain of revelation that extends from God through the Son to those who respond and share the Son's message. And that's why this mission is so terribly important and why knowing Jesus is so crucial. Luke highlights Jesus' uniqueness here. He is the Messiah, the Son of God, come to save the world. And there is an incredible relationship between Jesus and the Father, as he suggests here in verse 22. And Jesus demonstrates this attitude of submission and dependence. And I think that's the attitude that you and I need to come. An attitude of submission and dependence. So to know Jesus is to know God. To have a relationship with Jesus is to have a relationship with God. So how do we apply this text this morning? Well, number one, I would say it's decision time. What is at stake is the destiny of every person who hears the gospel. There is actually no room for the suggestion that no one needs to pay attention to forgiveness or that sin is passé. That's probably why Jesus makes it so clear to his messengers that God's blessing or rejection is at stake. Yes, he has created us with free will, but there are consequences to the decisions we make with our free will. This is probably also why Jesus issues these woes to the Galilean cities that reject his message. I'm guessing that preaching that Jesus is the only way means that we risk being misunderstood as intolerant, especially in today's world, as dogmatic or seeking to control others. But I don't know that you can have it any other way. Either Jesus is who he says he is, or he, he's a manipulating liar. Uh, you, can't, you can't have it any other way. He says he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. Uh, that sounds like exclusivism because it is. Uh, Jesus is the way. The obstacles of having people misunderstand us do not remove us from the responsibility of declaring in love, in tears, and humility what is at stake in this choice called for by God. There is a cosmic battle going on between good and evil, and that battle is being waged even today. And, and uh, I sometimes wish that Francis Schaeffer was still alive because uh, he wrote that book, How Then Shall We Live? And I think Francis Schaeffer had a, a way of, of seeing much beyond the, the circumstances right in front of us. And I wonder what he would say to us today about what we're going through. Certainly, he would say, fix your eyes on Jesus. The battle is being waged even today even though the question about victory has already been decided at the cross. Secondly, first, we need to decide. Secondly, workers are needed. You and me. This task should not be taken up by lone rangers. The task is shared. And some of you that were here when I agreed to go to Nicaragua, uh, I don't know how many years ago that was, uh, plenty, I remember saying to the church, if you don't pray, I'm not going. Uh, some of you remember that. that. That doesn't hold true only for going overseas or going to a war-torn country or any of that. It holds true for 
everything that we do as God's ambassadors and representatives. We need to pray for each other, and we don't go as lone rangers. We go as a team. I think there's a sense of accountability and protection in the fact that the 72 traveled in pairs. And uh, I often thought, as I did uh, my kind of door-to-door in, in uh, mountain villages in Nicaragua with, with Pablo or with others, that while he was talking, I was thinking, and vice versa. And uh, unfortunately, if you're not careful, that can degenerate into just, you know, getting a word in edgewise, and the person you're talking to doesn't ever get to say anything, and you're, you're, you're browbeating the person into the kingdom. I don't think that's what it's about. Maybe one person's talking and the other one's praying for him or praying for the person. But in any event, going in pairs, you're not so terribly alone. This is a shared ministry. And going together probably helps with the integrity of the participants and uh, their ability to work together. I think there's wisdom in ministry that is not done by going alone. This ministry also needs to be carried out through dependence on God and the Holy Spirit. And that dependence starts with prayer, and it ends with joy. Since the time of Jesus, God has been calling workers to work the harvest fields. Through prayer, wise effort, and the strength to face rejection, every generation looks to God for direction to mobilize for the task of sharing the good news of Jesus. We all have that task. It's been given to each and every one of us. Yes, some of us will go great distances, and others will share with friends, co-workers, and neighbors. You'll remember when we uh, focused on workplace faith, and uh, the mantra that I hope most of you have not forgotten is that your job is your fob, your legitimate access to your sphere of influence. All of us are called to share Jesus with others. Jesus didn't leave this ministry only with the 12 or the 72 or with your pastors. He says little here about the method, nor does he give them a canned, developed message. Their ministry is to meet needs, to reveal God's power, and to share where it has come from. I know that many are too intimidated to share Jesus because they feel they don't know what to say. Maybe we don't need to say that much. You don't need to share a well-worked-out theology. You need to share a relationship that you have with Jesus. And uh, if you're, uh, you know, as of two weeks ago, you've started into a dating relationship, you probably find it easy to talk about that person to your best friend and share that, right? So this is like that. You share about this relationship you have with your best friend who is Jesus. So Jesus sends out the 72 and he tells them simply to give of themselves and to point to God's presence. I think sometimes we make evangelism more difficult than it needs to be. And instead of praying for an easier job, these 72 were praying for more laborers to join them, and we need to do that today. And notice it's not the laborers, sorry, it's the laborers, not spectators, who pray for more laborers. 
Sometimes there are too many believers that are praying for someone else to do the job that they're unwilling to do themselves. Now, I have an assignment for you this week. And you can carry this on. There's no deadline that you have to stop after this week. But here's the assignment for this week. Uh, You have your bulletin. And if you don't, uh, you probably know Isaiah 6, 8 by heart. What I'd like to suggest... I'm not going to call you to see if you did it. We're not going to have a checklist, etc. But what I'd like you to do is think about this verse that says, Here, Then I heard the voice of the Lord say, Who am I? Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. My, my assignment for you this week is to start each day when you wake up in the morning and say to Jesus, Here am I, send me. I don't know what you have in store for me this, this day. I don't know what encounters there will be. I don't know how you want to use me. But I'm already, I'm, I'm stating my willingness to be used by you. I'm stating my openness and dependence on you because I want to be used by you to share you with those that I come in contact with today. Here am I, send me. And if you want to do that for the next 50 years, uh, you know, that, that'd be really great. I'm going to close in a word of prayer, and then I'm going to ask Caleb and Diane to come up, and we'll see if there are some questions or responses that we need to uh, respond to this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, you've called us to what feels like a daunting task. And yes, there are times when we... We are fearful, we are intimidated. There are times where we just don't feel up to the task. And yet what you have done is you have called us to represent you and to share the relationship that we have with you with others. We need to talk about you. And Lord, uh, I can still remember hearing Moses say, uh, you know, I can't speak, I don't have a mouth. And and you said, who created your mouth? So when, when we come up with excuses, we recognize that actually you created us and your Holy Spirit will empower us. So we need to be willing to say, yes, Lord, here am I, send me. Give us the courage, give us the passion and desire to be faithful, and then open our eyes to the opportunities that lie before us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Caleb and Diane. Can you give some examples of what it means to avoid distractions to this urgent task? Yeah, examples of how to avoid distractions. I mean, setting a time for devotions, I think, is quite a, a, a good idea as far as avoiding distractions and just being able to incorporate that into a daily routine uh, is, I think, one of the, the main things that would help keep someone from being distracted. If, if you can already just set that little time apart every day, Um, going forward, uh, removing distractions, I think will become a lot easier in in that way. Okay, good. 
I, I think starting the day and focusing on, like I said, here am I, send me, focusing on, God, I actually want your priorities to be my priorities today, because I can get lost in the weeds, in, in you know, personal agendas and whatnot all, and, and I, I think when Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that's where the battle is, because in my mind, I can get distracted, I have other priorities, and, and my agenda and uh, so I, I think you're right, uh, starting the day with, with God and, and focusing on, on that relationship. Yeah. How do we balance the holistic relational portion of witness with sharing the truth in words? I thought about not putting the number up, you know, as I came back. <laughs> I thought Mo might fire me from my job in the back. No, there, so. no, you're untouchable. <laughs> okay, there you go. Um, I've, I've, I found in my limited, limited uh, experience of sharing uh, with other people, uh, especially those that aren't necessarily acquainted with Christianity or with Jesus or whatever with having a relationship just focusing on the love of God mm. and and not trying to be like too religious but just and again in my limited experience of experiencing God's love like I mean it's 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 almost it's it's hard to describe what it's like to somebody who's never felt it mm. but like just being able to experience that and knowing that, I mean, someone who loves you that much is with you all the time and is, I mean, with whatever, is with you in whatever you're experiencing and, and what you're going through, like, just focusing on that aspect of, of the relationship with God is that he just, he loves you so much and he's, he'll, he'll be there for you no matter what and, yeah, just... Mm. I think Peter says it really nicely when he says, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. That, I think that means that there actually has to be hope there. Uh, I can remember working for a general contractor in Winnipeg for uh, a while uh, when we were home on furlough years back. And I remember a fellow worker that I'm going to say was vocabulary challenged, meaning that every other word started with F. And, and I didn't say anything. Uh, at, at a certain point, he started apologizing for his language. At a certain point, he, he reduced the vulgar language. And I can still, in my mind, visualize the picture of the day that we sat up against the wall inside in this building, having our lunch. And he turned to me and he says, So, Ernie, what is it about you? In other words, there, there, there was a lifestyle that suddenly got his attention. He was so curious, he needed to know about it. Now I had the opportunity. And I didn't say, well, you are a lost sinner headed for hell. That wouldn't have been the right approach. But I was able to share my relationship with Jesus and the hope that that gives me. In a, in a way that, that wasn't aggressive and attacking. But I had to wait for that opportunity to arrive. And I had to demonstrate that hope, first of all, 
to the point where he wanted it. And I realize you don't always get, not every situation is like that. I sat next to a lady on the plane uh, from Nicaragua to Miami. It was very bumpy, and, and she looked like she was ready to accept the Lord. And I resisted the urge to pound her into heaven, uh, because, you know, like take advantage of her fear. I rather worked at helping calm her fears. So, uh, right, every situation isn't the same. I've uh, just mentioning on that uh, the point of... Uh, you and that that coworker or whatever. I uh, I just uh, wrote a paper this week. Um, uh, I'm taking a, a Western religions course uh, for u- university, and um, it was kind of just an introductory paper. Uh, but it was uh, about what is religion and why study religion. And uh, one of the articles I read uh, described uh, this person described uh, that there are two main reasons that people study religion. Uh, One being that they go to religion seeking answers for, I mean, like first world problems. I mean, obviously there's Mm -hmm. a broad range uh, beyond just like first world, but uh, for medical reasons or financial whatnot, various sorts of reasons, uh, many reasons that can be resolved in non-theological religious Mm. ways Uh, and then he said the second reason that many philosophers and and people who are are you know majoring in in religion and stuff uh, study religion is that they are interested in a deeper meaning Mm. of and a deeper purpose and and they're they're searching for a purpose and that's a lot of times that's where they go is that they're searching for that purpose. And that's not necessarily even just Christianity. It may be other religion or whatnot, but they're searching for a deeper understanding of, of why we are here, why humans are on earth, what, what is our purpose here. So, oh, okay. yeah, it was interesting. Good. One more. Looking at evangelizing as providing opportunity for one to be presented with the gospel message, as opposed to seeking conversions, places the burden where it belongs, on the Holy Spirit. I had never really thought of it that way before. Thank you for, my, for that shift in my paradigm. Yeah, and, and I, I keep relating the fact that God created us with free will. And, and, and he respects your free will that he gave you so much that he actually will allow you to choose not to spend eternity with him. Wipe the idea that God sends people to hell out of your mind. God actually allows you to choose whether you want to spend eternity with him, as much as it pains him when you don't choose the right thing. So, if that is true, then when I disrespect your free will, and I try to browbeat you or argue you into the kingdom, I'm not only disrespecting you, I'm disrespecting the God that gave the free will to you. So, so to me, then, my idea of evangelism, to use that term, is simply inviting people into a dialogue. I I invite you into a conversation that respects you and your beliefs, but I share Jesus and my experience with him and my thoughts. So I think respect has to be part of the equation. Mm 